Amen. Please be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we come to our last passage in this book. We've spent the last six months looking at a book that contains many things that are difficult to understand, challenging to us, and certainly a book that we should continue to study, continue to meditate upon, to read. It's a Its truths are appropriate, as we've seen, for all ages, but it's especially appropriate as well for our postmodern Western culture. We summarized really the whole letter in chapter 12, verse 8, last week. It was Closing out his, his really a reminder of what he had already said in chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. And he certainly could have concluded there. The words that follow this section are really a summary from an editor. And they are not inconsistent with what the preacher has been saying throughout the book. Um, but it's, it's such a helpful and important summary that we may, might have taught this differently had we not had this section here. Verses 9 through 14 are critical in understanding and interpreting the entire letter. But think about it. This book, as it's contained now by the Holy Spirit, has been inspired, breathed out by God, and given to us in its current form, and he has spent the better part of 11 and a half chapters talking about worldly wisdom, talking about the things that we oftentimes strive to find meaning in and purpose in. Right? It's oftentimes the wrong things. And he has only infrequently mentioned God. And so it's important that as we come to this last section that we're properly prepared for this. If we had been just reading it continually straight from the beginning, it would give us the impression that we are desperate to hear some words of hope, right? that we are desperately in need of words of comfort. And so it comes at that place right now. Right? Maybe it's been five and a half, six months where you're saying, when is this author going to turn the letter into something that's encouraging and comforting. Of course, we've gone outside of the book and looked at the whole counsel of God's word and understood some things that, that have brought that grace and comfort in. But I think it's important to see the principle here that, that the author is, is working from. He's, he's trying to bring us to a place of desperation, a place where we recognize that we literally have nothing in this world apart from God. And so that's where... He concludes, before we read it, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hard truths as well that are difficult for us to understand, that cause us to wrestle with things and, and to challenge ourselves. 
and to compare and contrast your scripture with, with all of scripture. And as we've studied the book of Ecclesiastes, we've done that. It's caused us to, to wrestle with the content. And hopefully it's been an encouragement and, and it's been edifying for us, even when it's been a lot of conviction. When it's caused us to, to maybe question the state of our hearts, whether we're really warmed to the things that you want us to be warmed to, aware of. And so, Father, even in those times of conviction, we ultimately want to turn to you. We want to, we want to be brought to a place where we have no other hope but you. And Lord, maybe this is exactly what all of us need to hear this morning. And so speak to us. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear that truth. Soften our hearts to respond in obedience, in faith, in repentance. And comfort us by your gospel. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Well, read with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh." The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, Phil Riken starts this message, this section off with a recognizing God as our judge. He says this, if there is no God, then there is no judge. If there is no judge, then there will be no final judgment. And if there is no final judgment, then there is no ultimate meaning to life. Nothing matters. And so apart from God, life is empty and joyless. And this concluding passage gives the perspective that really has only been hinted at before in several places. Moreover, it's a challenge to a culture that really doesn't even have a concept for the fear of God. It's something that he has repeated six other times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a theme we should fear God. And so a key verse would be verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Duty there is actually inserted. It's really meaning this is the whole man. This is what man was created for, 
to fear God and to keep his commandments. And so here's what I think we want to conclude with as we close out this book. It's that truth. These are words of truth. Truth transforms those who fear God and keep his commandments. Truth transforms those who fear God and keep his commandments. And so, first of all, he begins with recognizing why the preacher has written the way he has, how he's written. And so it's what I would say is, you can summarize these two verses as truth worth writing about. Verses 9 and 10, let's read it again. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. This is coming from the hand of an unnamed editor who's only mentioned himself. Well, he doesn't even really mention himself, but he clarifies that he's not the preacher here. He's referring to the preacher. But in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, as well as chapter 7, verse 27, you recognize that there is an editor involved here in compiling the preacher's words. But now he comes with a summary in this last section. So he's acknowledging the preacher was not only wise, but he was good at studying, at studying the things of God and arranging his understanding in a manner that was helpful to his readers in a way that's easy to apply. He was good at articulating his wisdom into distilled proverbs. And it even says they're joyful, right? Words of delight. And you might say, oh, there was, a, there was some of that. There was also a, a lot of words of kind of looking at the world and saying, it's vanity, right? It's empty and it's short. But he did continually call us to rejoice, to, to respond in joy. Right, they're joyful truths. He was good at distilling these things into Proverbs and then articulating them in such a way that we can understand them, that we can remember them, and that we can apply them. Right, there was poetic language of time, of wisdom, of aging, It's really a a beautiful book. And so there are those who write for the eyes, right, who who style their language beautifully. And I would say he fits that category. There are those who write for the ears, right, who, who want it to sound good as it's being spoken. But then there are those who write words of truth that penetrate our hearts, right? And those are the authors that we should treasure, the one that's capable of moving us has himself been moved and by the content that he's writing. And I think there's a difference, a big difference between the person who can write a stylish sentence for your eyes and the person who delivers truth to your heart that brings conviction or comfort or encouragement at a time when you need it. The first person wows us with their abilities. The latter transforms us. Augustine said, I count myself one of the number of those who write as they learn and learn as they write. 
Calvin, John Calvin quotes that in the introduction to his institutes, right? himself acknowledging that, that he also wrote in order to learn. And so the preacher, he teaches through his writings. In fact, it's part of the way he studies, it's part of the way he examined things. It was through his writing, he pondered, he studied, and then he wrote what he learned. And so writing was learning. It's interesting to acknowledge that Jesus never wrote anything. Ever considered that? You might bring up the woman caught in adultery where he scribbled something on the sand. But he never wrote anything that you don't even know what he wrote there, in fact. And there's some challenges to that text. But it is true that everything contained in this book is the words of Christ to you. That all of it is inspired. That not a jot or tittle should be ignored. And it's only through the work of Christ accomplished on our behalf and through his spirit that any of this penetrates our hearts. It's only by his spirit and by his work. And so we should be about reading this kind of truth. Right? And so from writing, the author here does transition to the idea of reading. He's speaking now to us. He says, the words of the wise, in verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. So he says, the preacher's wise words have been like goads. They've been like a sharp stick prodding us into action. Right? A goad was used for cattle, used for animals to get them to stay the course, to stay to a particular task, plowing a field or moving from one, in one direction. And then nails, and this, this is the second illustration he gives, is, is nails. It could be a second illustration. In fact, we're possibly speaking of tent pegs that are firmly establishing these things into our lives. But I think most likely... It's the only time we, we read this word in the Hebrew, actually. In all of the Hebrew Bible, you, you do, the Old Testament, you do not have this word again. And so it's somewhat um, up for debate what it means. But it seems to go along with the word goad. And it's the nail that's attached to the end of the goad that firmly, that firmly implants itself into the flesh of the skin. Right? It's calling us into action. The idea is that these truths of the wise, these wise words prick our conscience and they result in transformation. They result in an action. They result in us doing something different than what we're doing. And maybe we're, we're not moving, and so it causes us to move. Maybe we're going in the wrong direction. It causes us to turn. That's what these words of truth are meant to do. 
we should beware that not all books provide this kind of result. That's what he says in verse 12 there. Beware of going beyond these. Right? There's no end to the making of books. And every student says, amen. Let's end this studying, this fruitless searching and studying for knowledge. Well, obviously, he was writing words of truth here for us. To take in, and, and he's not saying ignore all other books, but he's saying beware of going beyond them. Beware of taking in so much information that the words of truth are minimized, that you don't have time to open the Bible. And the point he's emphasizing is that you have one shepherd. This is a collection of sayings, they are given by one shepherd. It's a reference to God. The Bible is one book you should never stop reading. In fact, it's a collection of 66 books by about 40 different authors who were all inspired by one divine author. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture. We don't just focus on the things that we want to focus on. All Scripture is profitable. That the man of God may be complete, whole. It's, it's, this is very consistent with what we've just read in Ecclesiastes. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so we read God's word in order to equip us for the work that he's called us to. Maybe this is an opportunity for us to be reminded of the immense value that you hold in your hands. I I remembered an illustration as I was preparing this that I heard from Brian Chappell. In a message he preached in 2009 at the Gospel Coalition, he was, brings up a, a fellow graduate of his when he was in seminary who was a, later on a youth pastor, and he was telling him how he was just encouraging his, his students to appreciate God's Word, to appreciate the fact that it's the inspired Word of God, that it speaks to us exactly what we need to hear. And so he had the students circle, create a circle of chairs, and he placed one in the middle, and then he had a blindfold for the person who would sit in the middle. They would say something, and then everyone around the circle had cut out sections of, uh, you know, just little copies of of Scripture, pieces of, of verses or passages of Scripture in their hands. And depending on what was said in the center, they would respond with the words on their um, sheet. And it was kind of awkward. Students were confused. They didn't know what was going on. They, were a little, they thought it was a little silly. You know, they had people come in and sit down in the middle, and then they, had, they, they um, would giggle and laugh. And it really wasn't, it wasn't getting traction. It wasn't, wasn't hitting home with the students until a new girl got into the middle, and she opened 
with this. I'm so miserable, I don't know if I can stand my life anymore. And immediately, everyone was quiet, looking down at the passage in their hands, seeing if there was anything relevant there for them to share. And one student read, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. She said, nobody cares about me. Someone else read, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And she said, you don't understand. My parents kicked me out last night. I haven't been making good decisions. Someone else said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And she ripped her blindfold off, and she was in tears. And through those tears, she said, why doesn't God really talk to me that way? And of course, the youth pastor said, he does. Right? Every time you open his word, he speaks to you. is his revelation to all of us. Right? It's a, an imagery here of the good shepherd. The one shepherd who speaks to us is also pointing forward to the good shepherd who is Christ. Right? The one who laid down his life for his sheep. John 10, 11. And he continues to lead us as his sheep when we read his word. And so writing truth, reading truth, and then we conclude here, verses 13 and 14, with truth that's worth teaching about. This is the purpose of mankind, he says. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fearing God, again, I've said he mentioned it several times before this. And we'll just look at a few of them in chapter 3, verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Chapter 5, verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Chapter 8, verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. So fear has been a theme. And really, you could summarize all of wisdom literature that we read in Scripture by this theme of fearing God. It's It's a fundamental aspect to true worship. It rightly recognizes God's sovereignty and his power and his authority and his reign over this world and especially over 
us over our lives. Right? So fearing God and keeping his commandments, it's, it's as if the keeping the commandments are a response, the only proper response to fearing God. Right? Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it's important that we reflect upon this. Why? Well, he concludes with verse 14, because every deed will be brought into judgment. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Every word, every thought, every deed will be judged, whether good or evil. And so we need to say, first of all, two things about that. I shouldn't have said first of all because we've been saying many things already. But we need to acknowledge something about that first. God, the Father, sent his Son to bear the full weight of our sin in his death on the cross. He bore the penalty of our sin. His blood was shed for us. The wrath of God was poured out upon him entirely for those who place their faith and hope in Christ alone for their salvation. And so what does that mean for the believer who will one day stand before their judge? Well, Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, I'm looking at chapter 6. Chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So instead of death, we receive life. But that doesn't subtract all judgment for believers. Right? Paul himself, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we might say Christ speaking through Paul teaches this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Almost like a direct quote from Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 14. In other words, good stewardship matters, as we've been considering in several sections in the book of Ecclesiastes. Foolish living matters. Making wise choices matters. Obeying your parents matters. Listening to your children matters. It matters whether you work for God's glory or whether you despise your work. It matter, matters whether you read God's word or ignore it. And so we can't simply sweep all our words and our thoughts and our actions under the gospel carpet. Right? As if just, you know, it doesn't really matter anymore because Christ paid for my sin. 
And so what I think, what I do, what I, what I say, it's been paid for. I don't need to worry about it. That's not the attitude that the believer has. Repentance does a work in our hearts that transforms us. Everything we do has eternal significance. Everything. And so repentance is a call to transformation. Truth that transforms is a truth that transforms those who fear God and keep his commandments. Right? We, we fear him in the way that reverences him, that honors him as holy and powerful and sovereign. And that truth was written down for us in God's word. And so we should read its teaching with great expectation to hear from the living God every time we open his word, every time we sit under its preaching, every time we read it as a family, individually. We're hearing from God. And when God speaks, he creates change. Ecclesiastes compels us to the solution, which is the gospel. It compels us to that, though, not by a direct route. It doesn't just simply take us there. But it makes us weary of every other path that we've been going down. It makes us recognize how fruitless and how endless those paths are. And so we might even summarize this the way Augustine prays in his opening uh, section of his confessions. He says this, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they rest in you. You've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they rest in you. And if you're restless today, if you feel like you've been wandering through life, confused, conflicted, doubting, be reminded of what you have here in God's word and treasure those words. And maybe you do, maybe you read it every day keep doing so because it matters for eternity. And when we stand before our Savior, his judgment will not be one of condemnation. It will be one of acceptance, right? receiving us into the new heavens and new earth. Well, we'll worship him unhindered by sin, undistracted by this world, fully able to worship him in spirit and in truth. Have you found your rest in Christ alone as he's offered to you in the gospel? If not, I urge you to respond even now. Let's pray.